Lean forward slightly. Look straight at the speaker. And listen with a sparkle in your eye. As though you might be thinking, gee, this is the most wonderful thing I've ever heard in all my life. Straight out of the burbs of L.A., this is So I Married a Movie Geek. Hello and welcome to So I Married a Movie Geek, otherwise known as the Movie Geek Cast. I'm Chrissy McQueen. We have Justin Winters, as always. Yes. And I am incredibly excited for what we're about to tell you all. So usually we watch, you know, two movies a podcast and we're happy to discuss them ad nauseum. But it's rare and wonderful that we get to welcome somebody who's actually starred in the movies to be on the podcast. So Keith Coogan is here with us tonight. And I think that I couldn't be more excited if I tried. We're super excited. Welcome, welcome to the show, Keith. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having me on. I, this is, I think, one of the first times I've done the Skype. Uh, and with this extra stuff we're doing with sound so that people enjoy my radio voice. <laughs> you do have a winning radio voice. I think that you've missed that medium in your life. Yes. Uh so uh so hi guys. So you're you're close. I'm over in like the Burbank area. We're uh, over here we're over here with two kids and a a, a sick mother-in-law, so we appreciate Keith doing this over Skype and uh makes it easy on everyone uh, even though we're like 15 miles away from each other. But technology ain't it grand? Oh, it is. You know, Pinky and I were going to uh, just come out there. I didn't know if that would be easier, but we didn't know if we were going to get murdered. So <laughs> we did a, an Airbnb, and it was our first time trying an Airbnb. And I walked, you know, right in the door and said, hi, uh, you know, are you are you going to murder us? And uh, every time I went back in and out of the car uh, and came back in the house, I'd just open the door and go, murder. <laughs> So while we're on the subject of Pinky, uh, that is your wonderful wife that I mostly uh, was corresponding with. How you you're pretty? How many years have you been married now? We have been married for three years. We just had our third year anniversary. Congratulations! Congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, and it was great. We've got we met, got engaged within oh I don't know three months or so, and we got married in six months from there. And uh, it you know when you when you know you know. I, is it true? I saw we saw a picture. My favorite uh, movie of all time is Back to the Future. We saw a picture of you leaving your wedding in a a DeLorean. Yeah, it was. Um, it, we got married on which was also my grandfather's birthday, which was October twenty sixth. And the the in Back to the Future when they first test the DeLorean with uh, Einstein, they you see the. Uh, the flux capacitor and the readout, it says, you know, October 26th, October 26th. People argue about what is Back to the Future Day. I think they say it's the 24th or the, I don't know, earlier. I, I'm sorry. I see a screenshot online that says I'm right. So we, <laughs> we got very, and, and, you know, we were like, oh, you know, it's, it's, I'm very Star Wars. And, uh, we had noted it was also back kind of a Back to the Future Day. And uh, we had uh, an offer. Would you like a DeLorean as your getaway car? And there it was funny because our friend goes, um, now, the one that's got the flux capacitor and everything is in the shop. Do you mind? It's just a regular DeLorean. We're like, that's great. Oh, my gosh. 
Oh, it's just a regular DeLorean. I, I showed uh, Chrissy that picture, and I was basically shaming her. I was like, why didn't you do this for me? He was <laughs> shaming me. It was almost unfair. And then I said, well, let's be honest. I'm not as cool as Pinky. So you and, you and Pinky, you got it going on. And I, we just, you know, have our family car, and that's it. And you you guys met. She was She's like a celeb, one of those celeb super fans that, like, she yeah. seems like she goes out to meet as many celebs, gets those pictures, and she kind of chose you out of the. Uh, that's pretty. I mean, you have to feel pretty good if she's a celeb super fan, and she instantly sounds like she falls in love with you uh, amongst them all. That's that's pretty awesome, man. You know, I was very naive as to what happens on the fan side of things, and uh, uh, my wife likes to be known as a fangirl, Pinky, uh, uh, Pinky the fangirl. Um, uh, online, her blog is, uh, pinkylovejoy.com. And, uh, it, it just, you know, follows all of, uh, it premieres and benefits and screenings. And, uh, you know, she'll run into and get a chance to, uh, meet a lot of people. She has thousands of photos with stars. I went with her to go get well, too many to mention, but some of the fun ones were like Tom Cruise. And getting him, you just, you, you, you find out where they're going to be. Uh, in this case, he was at Jimmy Kimmel promoting Edge of Tomorrow and, you know, huge line, lots of people and tons of security. Are you the, are you the photographer? Is she like, you're the photographer? You have to make sure you get she, this. She does really- selfies and she has a little <laughs> selfie cam that's got the oh, screen nice. so you can see and it flips up. Little, little pink one. Very cute. Uh, it, 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 you know, we've hunted Sundance is a great, we're going to go to Sundance in January. And uh, there you can get everybody. You can you can go nuts. Easy pickings. Well, you said earlier you know when you know. How did you know that Pinky was the one for you? Uh, you well, she came to get my uh, uh, photo with me, and um, she doesn't you know really care about autographs or uh, she just you know wanted the selfie. And uh, it was my first autograph show, and my friend Scott Schwartz, who was a flick in a Christmas story. Uh, and he was uh, Master Bates in the toy. Um, he was throwing the show. And uh, so he guided me through it. He said, everything's 20 bucks. They want a, you know, an autograph, it's 20 bucks. They want a selfie. Well, you know, autograph's 20 bucks. It comes with a selfie. So, you know, that's what I kind of said to her. I go, well, you know, uh, it, you know, it's $20 for an autograph, but the selfie comes with it. She's like, fine. It was like <laughs> too, too much. And she wasn't, um, uh, she wasn't familiar with my uh my ovoir, my repertoire. Uh she uh you know, maybe had seen Adventures of Babysitting, but it was so long ago. Uh and she was more of a fan of um very pop culture, happy days and um uh you gotta you gotta go to her blog. You'll see all about her little eighties and nineties. She really likes eighties and nineties and T V uh as well as film. She's nuts about Rick Schroeder, which I have to get over, you know. Uh, <laughs> that's it, you know. Spe- speaking of speaking of speaking of TV, so Keith, we're we're going to talk about two two movies that you're uh, obviously a lot of people know you for, but you've been in like so many TV shows, it's crazy. Like, okay, I've got a list: Love Boat, Waltons, Eight Is Enough, Fantasy Island, Laverne and Shirley, Little House on the Prairie, Mork and Mindy, Knight Rider, Chips. Silver Spoons, 21 Jump Street, Eight is Enough. And one of our favorites that we talk about on our show a lot, uh, Chrissy, we love Growing Pains. That's a lot of stuff, man. It's like an 80s TV like dream. 
were you just like constantly working? What was going on there? Uh, yes, for uh, I had started in just doing commercials. I uh, had done uh, a, a, almost a hundred national commercials, uh, fun stuff like a, a Cool Whip and uh, um, Ford and Texaco and uh, McDonald's, and um, then you start getting on on TV and you get little parts. So I think Chips was one of my f- first roles, and um, this is amazing. I watch these shows. Uh, I was on uh, the third episode of Night Rider. So when you shoot it, you know, there's weeks in advance. So it show hadn't even come out yet. And I'd been reading about it in the little magazines and stuff and, uh, like special effects and Fangoria. And, um, I was sitting in, uh, a kit and, uh, it, 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 love boat, fantasy island, all that stuff. It was, um, uh, it, it, you know, also, it, you know, it was amazing. Uh, I also, I went to public school when I wasn't on the set. But at that, at that point, it was about 50-50. I was definitely out of school a lot. And I, and when I did the Waltons, which was a year, I missed, I think, most of fourth grade, something like that. What did you do? What, what, how many episodes were you in one episode of Growing Pains? What did you do on Growing Pains? I was a Carol's date to a dance where the Seavers were chaperoning and, um, uh, Annette Finicello was, uh, the, like, head of the, you know, teachers thingy, and they have a dance off, uh, in, uh, uh, at school. It was fun. Um, you know, a couple of my friends were on the show. Andrew Kennig, who played Boner on Growing Pains, uh, Jeremy Miller, who's, uh, Ben Se- little Ben Seaver. Was he, he, Jeremy Miller was at your wedding. We saw, was that true? He was, he, he absolutely was in my wedding. In your wedding? Was he one of the, what did he do? What did, One of the groomsmen. That's awesome. So, um, got just to clue you guys in, we lost Chrissy for a little while. He's she's upstairs with crying kids. So it's just me and Keith just jabbing, jabbing about here, just in case someone was like, "What happened to Chrissy? Why won't she speak up about this?" Um, anyway, so your first, so just so everyone's clear, some people might not know this, but. You're obviously, would you call Hollywood royalty? How would, how would you explain that? You have your, your, your grandfather obviously was the kid, the kid from the kid with Charlie Chaplin. He was in Adam's family, Uncle Fester and Adam's family, two iconic roles. Um, and then we obviously we live in LA, so we hear about the Coogan's Law a lot. And that came from directly from your grandfather's upbringing. Would you consider yourself Hollywood royalty? How would you describe your 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 lineage, basically, in this town? Uh, not really high, uh, royalty. Uh, being, you know, our family was one of a family kind of known for not getting their money. Uh, you know, my grandfather had lost. Uh, I think they put it at somewhere between I don't know forty five and sixty million or something in adjusted dollars. Uh, it was merchandising for Jack. It wasn't just films. He did, um, uh, dozens of films right after the kid. There were mostly, you know, comps of the kid. Uh, Chaplin kind of let him have that character because Chaplin wasn't going to use it again. And, um, uh, Jack went to, uh, like, prep school, boarding schools. Uh, he, uh, kind of grew up, 
uh, in front of the camera. Um, there was the Jackie Coogan haircut. There was, uh, the merchandising. That's the thing where they made a lot of the money. It was, he was one of the first heavily merchandised with peanut butter tins and pencil boxes and sheet music and, um, everything dolls. And, you know, they had a hood ornaments, pewter hood ornaments for Rolls Royces and, uh, he was head of the game with the merchandising, basically. They it really did because it, it, you know, costs you nothing to license out a name. Costs you nothing, and so let somebody else worry about making the stuff and shipping. All you're doing is you know licensing out a name. And you know, my grandfather was one of the first uh, uh, in World War II. There was uh, Near East Relief, which helped uh, with uh, orphans from uh, the war, and. Um, it was the first celebrity humanitarian cause. He went around the country with other celebs uh, collecting um, canned milk. Uh, there was like a canned milk drive and clothing and other food, canned food, and then put it on barges and took it over to uh, – dropped it off in Greece and then they took it into Europe. Um so that was a, a, you know, and then he grew up on film to the point where he's no longer the cute little boy. And, uh, he comes of age and, uh, wants his money. And, uh, my great grandfather, who had really been caretaking, uh, the Coogan production company and the funds and Jackie's upbringing, uh, passed away in a tragic car accident, uh, killing everybody in the car, including, um, Junior Durkin, who played Huckleberry Finn to my grandfather's Tom Sawyer, uh, the writer on that, um, uh, Coogan Ranch Hand. And my great grandfather, um, my grandfather was the only one that lived in the accident. Um, he, uh, my great grandmother subsequently married the business manager and they quickly went through the money. When he did sue, uh, in California, the law was uh, that, uh, minors earnings are, uh, household community property. So money was gone and there's nothing you could do about it. And, uh, the great grandmother said, uh, oh, Jackie had fun anyway doing that. And uh, Jack's response is, you know, there's no time that I didn't know that it was work. Um, you know, it's always you have to be pretty serious on a set. So uh, the there was a, um, a law passed in California, uh, the uh, the Coogan bill, the uh, Child Minor Labor Act, um, setting aside 15 percent of their earnings. In 2000, it was updated to actually siphon the money right off of a check made by every production. They have to cut a special check to a Coogan account. Uh, and in California, um, there's no longer a community property law. A minor in the entertainment industry, 100% of their earnings is theirs and has to have annual accounting. You put your kid in at five years old, you have to give your six-year-old an accounting of every dollar that happened. And... Um, the that's interesting because that kind of was updated in 2000. Um, oh, and also the parents have to pay all of the bills and the rent and in town out of their own pocket. They can't take any of the child's money. This is California law. And I kind of doubt it's been followed. Um, you know, when the when the bar was a lot lower, it was can you just save 15 percent? That wasn't even done. So I don't think people are really acknowledging what the true California law is for uh, minors. We're seeing it. It's in five states. The Coogan Act, only the 15 percent. Um, would love to move it into more states where there's a lot of production, like Louisiana. Georgia is a possibility. Uh, we have to apparently talk to labor commissions. And the, my question is, 
who is opposing uh, protections for minors working in the entertainment industry? Stand up to me. Show me and, and we'll talk. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's my, so uh, obviously coming from your family, was there internal pressure from your family? Was there external pressure from people you knew to, to act at, at a young age? No, it's, it's, it's more of, you know, this is a choice. This is what you want to do. Then this is how a professional works in the industry. And this is kind of the road that you have to walk on. Um, so you, you, and you knew that going in and you knew, you know, the ups and the downs and the cyclical nature of the business. So you're prepared to, you know, have a comeback at eight and 12 and 16 and 20 and whatnot. Um, it, you know, it does move very fast and, you know, a lot of your friends are in the industry as well. And, um, uh, I think that I wouldn't want to say take it for granted, but you do get, um, inoculated to it to where you uh, you don't kind of notice how hard you're working and you have to keep up with school uh and then you know after working and school you still have to go out to support the work and you know do photo shoots and premieres and go to benefits and show up to screenings so uh it's a it's non-stop can you imagine a kid having to work 12 or 14 hours a day every day uh it's it can be brutal and then to not get paid well so I'm glad that there are a lot of protections, and uh, uh, I'm honored to carry the Kuga name. So, so after you know all these commercials, the the first like big break I assume for you was you were one of the voices in the Fox and the Hound, which uh, I haven't seen in forever. But the main thing I remember about that movie is those early scenes where you were the you were the fox. You were young Todd, and then young young Copper was uh, voiced by Corey Feldman. And just those scenes with you guys and how cute it was. How was how was that experience for you? Going from commercials to they put you in front of a mic and they're like, "You're these, you know, cuddly little animals type thing." It. Hold on, I think I'm setting things on fire. Okay. Oh well. Oh good. Well, it was. Um, I. Uh, <sighs> It's hard because you couldn't use your eyes and you couldn't act with your body and your whole thing. You had to kind of learn how to put that into your voice. It's the only voiceover job I've ever done. Um, I was between 8 and uh, 10 or 11, I think, when we worked on it because we'd record a little bit and they'd let us grow up a little bit and they'd record some more voices. So you'd hear our voices age in it. Um, and, I, th you know, a lot of people... It resonates with people. It's a pretty brutal film. Um, uh, it, uh, you know, is emotional. It can be an it it, different parts affect uh, people differently. It's a great story. Uh, I, I, I think that it, sh it, at the time that it was made in the late seventies when they started it, um, uh, it, it took a little longer than usual because Don Bluth led a uh, exodus to film form his own company. He took half the animators with him, but uh, Fox and the Hound had not only the n original nine old men that animated Snow White. It also had John Lasseter and uh, Tim Burton a animating uh, Vixie and uh, 
backgrounds and it, it uh, had, if you look at the credits in there, it's stunning how many people are still working at Disney. Uh, you know, they really did hand the old guard handed it off to the new kids and the, the new kids have been running it since. Um, so it's the, I consider it is considered the last of the classic animated Disney films. What is it like hearing your voice as a child coming, coming out of the screen with, you know, animation like that? It uh, it's very trippy. They also did parade us uh, in front. Not only did they go and study foxes and hounds, but they paraded me and Corey Feldman in front of the animators, and we met and talked with them. You know, told jokes, sang songs, whatever it is that kids do. And uh, they, uh, what I like is if you really look at uh, Corey and me at that age. Um, our character design is very close. Uh, the eyes, Todd, I think it resembles me and it cracks me up. So I don't, <laughs> I've morphed into a cartoon really. And, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. People cry when he gets dropped off in the reserve. That's not the part that does it to me. It's the very end, a little refrain. And you just hear our voices over the adult versions that can't be friends anymore. And, uh, uh, you know, we'll always be friends forever. And I am still friends with Corey Feldman to this day. Um, we'd actually worked together before that and after that on movies of the week and commercials and, uh, uh, and the Oscars. Uh, me and Corey danced on the Academy Awards. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, he, uh, I love him dearly and congratulations to Corey and, uh, uh Courtney Ann. That was that was actually going to be my next question. We're our, you know, me more than Chrissy. I've kind of introduced her to some of the the Corey movies, but we're huge Corey Feldman fans, and obviously he's back. He's he's he just got married, but he's got this music now. Have you listened to his music? What do you think about this whole uh, new version of? I guess a lot a lot of people have heard a lot of his music as much as obviously seen. It's new to a, a lot, lot of, of people. A lot of movies. So what what do you think about all that? Well, it is a uh, amazing endeavor. It's a double double sided album, so it's basically a four sided album. Wow! Um, and his fourth or fifth album, probably um, Truth Movement and uh, Former Child Star, um, and he's sung about his life for years. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I had a manager once uh, tell me. Um, he looks at me and he talk talking to me and stuff and he goes, Five years. And I go, What what's five years? And he goes, Five years they'll let you back. I go, I don't understand what you're talking about. I'm, yeah. where did I go? Uh and so, you know, there's a time for nostalgia. There's a, a cycle of you know, right now we're kind of hitting the thirty year mark for uh, a lot of Goonies and uh, Gremlins and Adventures of Babysitting and thirty five year mark for Fox and the Hound. Um that it's, uh, 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 people are interested. Um, it, 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 he's not, he's more talented than I am as an actor and probably doesn't have the armor that I built up. I, you know, my, have, having my family in the industry for generations, um, it, it, you, you unfortunately develop a very tough skin and that messes with your vulnerability on film. And I'm not a river Phoenix. Um, not a Corey Haim. I'm not a Corey Feldman. Um, Keith Coogan, a little more light and fluffy. Uh, and I'm fine with that because it kind of protects me from those deeper pain that, uh, can cause a lot of problem in any kid growing up. Now do it in front of the cameras. 
grow up on the Tonight Show. Good luck. Um, very few people understand what a former child star, because even if you grow up happy and healthy and you get married and everything, you're still a former child star. Mm -hmm. uh, even if you're still working, uh, it is, uh, so it's, it's, I think people should kind of look back at all of his music too as well. Cause this really is, and this is, I mean, he could pull a guns and roses and be like, there's enough music on this. He's got a dance, uh, kind of side and he's got a, a rock side. Uh, and you should hear the whole album. It's fantastic. Has he ever asked you, has he ever asked you to like sing on a track or anything? You like read that? my mind. I was just going to ask that. <laughs> Hell no, I can't sing. Uh, no, no. We did get to go to the record release party, which is great. Uh, Courtney Ann was uh, DJing, and uh, they had a belly dancer, uh, uh, and they played the whole uh, album for us. And uh, I mean, he seems like he's happy, and that's the, that's the biggest thing. Is like, as a Corey Feldman fan, you're just like, if if music is what makes him happy now, let's let's support that. And not only that, but it's artistry. And I feel like that has been lost a little bit in in the message that's gone out in the media and in terms of how they're interpreting what he's doing and and how they're putting their spin on it. Um, it, it it's all artistry, and and it is it's important, and it, and it's different, and I think unique and special. And I I think people are too quick to I, judge I think, and say, you yeah, know, I want to, I want to bring a point that in the eighties we had Bruce Willis, a huge uh, TV star with moonlighting and no really television star had successfully crossed over into film. Used to be a big deal. Uh, you're too TV. You can't, you know, be in the movies um, until he did that and did die hard and kind of, you know, you kind of go back and forth. And now with the, the <laughs> golden age of television, Sorry, my wife, we promised, my wife and I promised each other we'd smack each other if anyone said golden age of television again. Um, but it is. And uh, now you've got Meryl Streep doing a series and De Niro doing, doing a series. So uh, the same kind of taboo that used to be against a TV person stepping out of their box and going to be a film actor or a film actor doing Broadway or, you know, a rock star wanting to act – uh, I think that the country has put Corey into the actor box and said, no, we're not allowing you to, you know, to paint in these other colors. And um, that's unfair. Very interesting. So um, a couple of interviews I've seen that you, you talk about being friends with Corey and been friends with Corey Haim and being on a lot of these same auditions with a lot of these movies that were going on at the time. Is it true? So you auditioned for The Goonies. Oh, I went up for the Goonies. Uh, Gremlins. I was in a room with uh, Sean and Corey and uh, <clears throat> three or four of the other cast members. And I was going up for mouth. And I knew Corey was too. And I went, I'd cast him. He's perfect. <laughs> um, you know, he's doing uh, – he could imitate like Stallone and Howard Cosell and all that. He was doing all these voices. Very extroverted. And uh, uh, my my mom taught me a great – Word demonstrative, you know, you know, able to kind of be um, not shy. A lot of actors are painfully shy, and they'll have used this. I, I, I had the great pleasure of doing a film with Ted Danson, Cousins, and he's terribly shy, um, crippling. Really, he can't, you know, go out. And it was, you know, part of 
he was in mid cheers popularity at the time, but it's amazing to be with someone that really gets recognized. I get occasionally here and there, you know, every other day or so. I forget. I forget I'm on TV. People go, you look familiar. I don't know. Where, what high school did you go to? You know? Um, <laughs> so all the, all, all these roles, which is like, uh, which is the one that you kind of hurts the most that you missed out on? Oh, yeah. If any of them hurt. I used to have that answer, but after speaking with Will, Will Wheaton and Sean Astin and, um, who else recently? I don't know. Maybe one of the, the Jason or Jeremy London. Well, we were talking about the films we've done and how like, oh man, I'd really love to do a stand by me or, oh gosh, I wish I was in Lord of the Rings. And, um, you know, Will goes, Will Wheaton says, well, would you trade Adventures of Babysitting for Stand By Me? And I said, no. And he goes, well, there you go. There's your answer. And I was, I was kind of enlightened there. And then I got to Sean Astin and I'm, I had done a little screen test for, uh, <clears throat> Samwise and, um, you know, Sean's remarkable. He's, he's a re- remarkably gifted in, in that connection between his father and my grandfather with the Adams family. Um, was not lost on us when we did Toy Soldiers. Uh, and we'd been friends and we had a production company had made short films and stuff, uh, as kids. Um, so I said, I was, you know, come on, Sean, you got Lord of the Rings. It's amazing. And he's like, yeah, but you had adventures in babysitting. And so to know that some of my friends that are in the industry consider that a part that they may have missed out on, I was like, I'm totally relaxed on the jealousy, just grateful to have done. Um, uh, you know, a handful of fun movies. So, so let's talk about adventures in babysitting. So, uh, to preface this, just so you know, we this is the first movie that we have talked about twice on purpose on this podcast. So when when Keith, um, I don't know knowingly, but he followed us on Twitter and we saw that we were like. This is our chance. This is our chance to talk about adventures of babysitting with Let's someone from the, the movie. Dream. Let's really chase this pipe dream and email him <laughs> out of the blue and be like, hey, you want to talk about adventures of babysitting? Because um, this is a movie. Uh, I, I was born in 1980. This came out when I was seven years old. It was like one of those movies that was kind of like iconic for you specifically designed for you. Like you're watching it and you're like, OK, this is checking off all all the boxes in everything I like, um, primarily of which, and this has come up a couple of times on the podcast, and I think that I share this if I if I read a review right. Um, I was a big Elizabeth Shue fan as a kid. I think that puts it lightly. So I was a huge Karate Kid fan, and then from that on, everything I saw Elizabeth Shue in, I was just like, okay, I love this. This is my new favorite movie, basically. <laughs> so, <laughs> Automatic green light, Elizabeth so Shue. Is, so Adventures of Babysitting, ni- 1987, you were obviously so you is it true that you were also Elizabeth Shue fan before you came into this movie? Of course, Karate Kid. And then once I learned I was working with her, I went and I rented Link, which naughty Aww. naughty. <laughs> she really let me down. She told me that that was a body double with a ape grabs her boob. And I was like, oh man, so upset. <laughs> you know, I mean, I heard that Valerie Bertinelli read for the role and. I love her. I've met her several times. She's a joy to to be with in person. But I can't imagine this film with Valerie Bertinelli uh, over Elizabeth Shue. Uh, or, Phoebe, just, or Phoebe Cates. Or Phoebe Cates. I mean, they're all beautiful women. Absolutely. But Elizabeth Shue, she's, she's... Does she hit the gold standard still? Oh, man, Keith. You have no idea. <laughs> 
Keith, is, please tell me it's true that you, was it jokingly asked her out on like a date or something? That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. <laughs> so recreate that. That must have been like a huge moment for you. It, 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 you know, it was, and it was, you know, absolutely part of, of doing the film. And, you know, I, I <clears throat> asked her out to uh, dinner. We're rehearsing. Uh, we rehearsed for a couple of weeks before uh, <laughs> Sounds new, like a New Year's break. So in 86, we, at the tail end of 86, we'd done some rehearsals up in uh, Toronto and then went home. Um, and then uh, came back. Uh, after the New Year's and started the film. And, um, so I'd asked her out, uh, and, um, <clears throat> she just laughed in my face. And, you know, it was, you know, it was really like I did it knowing I was going to get shot down. It was, you know, hey, look, we're going to be working on this movie. And, you know, there's only, I think I was going to turn 17 and she might have been 23. So, but, the, you know, movies, it doesn't matter. She looked at, she was playing 17. Heck. Um, so I, you, you gotta give me a shot for trying, you know? I think that you deserve a lot of credit for trying. That, that takes some cojones. I don't know if I were in your shoes and, and I were in a picture with, I don't know, Leonardo DiCaprio, <laughs> that I'd be able to do it. That's pretty amazing. So, so how did, how did this movie, so you went from, so you're, pl- you're in all these commercials, you were in TV, you were in Fox of the Hound. How did Adventures in Babysitting come to you initially? Right around the time I'd done the growing pains and the silver spoons and the, what am I, what do you smoke the pot? Why am I talking like this? Uh, when I had done, um, it's, and it's funny, I really was nervous on any live show like Laverne and Shirley or Mork and Mindy. Um, I would, couldn't really handle the audience would throw me. Um, I hadn't done any theater until high school age and, uh, that was hard. I, yeah, the like, Half a dozen times I did one of those live shows. I was a nervous wreck. Um, tough. I don't know why. And then on Adventures of Babysitting, you know, it got down to the uh, screen tests. And uh, I was very happy to be at these screen tests. Not only was there Elizabeth Shue, but you had Phoebe Cates and Valerie Bertinelli and Jamie Gertz. And uh, going up for Sarah, you had... Uh, Kirsty Swanson and Christina Applegate. Wow, you were you were like living the dream, man. You were living <laughs> the dream. You were like, can we screen test for like four weeks, basically? Like it was the happened. weirdest collection. Uh, it was the greatest collection. I got to go to Sizzler with Phoebe Cates for lunch. That was well, and my mom. That was embarrassing, but um, <laughs> and I had you know all the guys that were kind of my type at the uh, uh, down to the wire and. Um, they kept pairing me and Anthony rap off though. And uh, we'd switch and I'd play Daryl and Anthony would play Brad and then we'd switch again and back and said, so the, um, uh, Chris Columbus fought very hard for me, uh, and, uh, kind of pushed me through to Disney. He said, this is, this is who I want as Brad. And I was very, uh, grateful to Chris. Thank you for uh, having the faith in me that, that, I, and it was, I was just very relaxed uh, did a lot of research and kind of uh, broke the script down because you're shooting it all out of order. So you have to remember when, how mad you are at Daryl is really the barometer. And you know, are you this mad? Are you this mad? Or are you this mad? <laughs> and um, it was a blast shooting, um, flying around uh, Toronto, Chicago, and LA. You know, trucks and skyscrapers, and it really, really was fun. So uh, I don't think we could talk about your character as Brad. 
without talking about two things. One thing is the the haircut, which as a young kid, a young white kid with dark what hair. Heck? What the heck like is up the, with that haircut? The dark hair with like the kind of <laughs> pseudo mullet going on. And then it was you had, the 80s. And then you had this big like fluffy festive red sweater. That sweater. Oh my God. <laughs> Keith, that sweater was that in the script? Uh, was that in the script that they were going to saddle you with the hair? No, I think that's Chris Columbus because the uh, red sweater has shown up in uh, Home Alone. It's shown up in Harry Potter. It's it uh, kind of keeps showing up, and there's a great web page that breaks down how the how the group of Adventures of Babysitting standing together looks just like the group from Harry Potter. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, uh, Chris has a very, you know, he wanted us kind of had red hair, so we kind of I had a dye mine kind of a auburn and Anthony Rapat was is blonde. He had to go completely red. Um strawberry. Yeah, that was uh not fun cuz they had to put this like cap over me and then pull. I think I thought they were punishing me for some reason. Well, especially because you wanted to look good to uh, Elizabeth Shue. True. Oh, it was worse. It was this spider. I had like those bangs. <laughs> It's like the 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 boy version of soup can bangs that girls have, where it looks like it's been curled by a soup can. I I think actually uh, one of my favorite scenes is the first time that she comes when she first comes to the house, and you're like <laughs> dropping spaghetti all over the floor Agreed. and being nervous with the the chocolate and the 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 acne and stuff. I felt very at home. Like I was like, okay, this Brad is my guy. This is my avatar into this movie, basically. <laughs> It absolutely is. You don't know Justin well enough to know, but, uh, and granted, I didn't even know him when he was that age, but watching you portray Brad, I was like, oh, this is Justin's origin story. I completely understand what's happening now. I have to say, uh, Chris Columbus did a heck of a job in terms of not just the casting of the roles where everybody seemed to do a very good job in their respective parts, but with the chemistry of the cast all together. I, like, for instance, I can't imagine anyone else playing Daryl but Anthony Rapp. And you guys working alongside each other was was really cool. And it, I kind of do this sometimes where I, I play a casting game in my own head and I imagine the the part that I'm watching in a, in a different uh, actor. And I, and I couldn't do it. You guys were were such a team. I kind of wanted you guys to be your own buddy movie pair and, and go on and do more movies together. Brad and Daryl on the road. <laughs> oh, that's awesome to hear. Well, we're still very good friends and uh, have had... We had common friends. Our, our circles met and connected uh, like after we had done the film. And then about two years later, we found that we had a lot of mutual friends. And so there'd be poker games and... Uh, uh-oh. Everything's blowing up here. Oh, my God. Uh, it, uh, Anthony's great. We just saw If Then. Uh, Pinky and I went to the Pantages and saw Anthony in that. And... Um, we're, we're huge rent, we're huge rent heads, so uh, and theater fans in general, so huge huge fans. Yes, so we we talked about Chris, Chris Columbus. This was his first movie. Obviously, he went on to a ton of other movies. Did you see like the the Chris Columbus we know now in him during that first movie? Uh, I, you know, I was fully aware he had already written. Goonies, Gremlins, and Young Sherlock Holmes, uh, and I was fans of all three films, and felt this was um, uh, a family adventure, and it would appeal to a broader audience, um, more girls, and you know, the, it it didn't really talk down to parents too much, and um, 
as as I think that the casting was great, and I'm glad that I was cast. Uh, there, we all had to kind of shoehorn into our roles for the piece, and um, you know, uh, Lisa carries the picture, uh, but there's times where it really just is an ensemble. The four of us are just, you know, everyone. And Maya Bruton was fantastic because. Except that she couldn't work past midnight. Other than that, and we're shooting a picture that takes place at night, so that was a little tough. Um, Maya was, you know, she's quick. She's very, very funny, very, very smart, and she she loved the adventure of of shooting the movie as well. The Twilight Zone trial was going on against John Landis, and uh, they were very uh, watchdog on minors on the sets. Even though we were in Canada, it was still you know a SAG production. So we had a Canadian double that was just an inch taller than her. Actually, the double like grew throughout production, um, and had had the the thickest Canadian accent. You know, Thor mighty got a thunder, eh? Oh my gosh! <laughs> All the superheroes live in the city, eh? You know, Spider Man, Daredevil, Captain America, yo, you hoser. So funny. And so she'd read all the lines and, and, uh, I, anytime in the movie that you can't, that you only see the top of the Thor helmet, that's typically the, and I think her real name was Sarah. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. Oh, how funny. Well, you know, whether or not her name was Sarah at this point, it's Sarah because it makes for a great story. It is now. Speaking, speaking of names, I heard, I heard you refer to Elizabeth Shue as Lisa. Just because I'm in love with her, Keith, is that what she prefers to be called? Yeah, because, um, it's Elizabeth with how she spells it with the S. So instead of Liz, it's Lisa as a short, uh, thing. I got to call her that, which was, I was about as close as I got. Totally jealous. Can I just say that as the wife on your podcast, this is a very like, I feel like, uh, I, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, meta conversation I'm having uh, oh about. Keith you have no idea obviously <laughs> Keith has seen Karate Kid and he knows it's about a kid from the east coast you know packing it up with his mom and moving to California where he meets this blonde valley girl um that's that's my story well Justin I I live I don't know about 15 minutes from the apartment complex that Reseda we Oh, hell yeah. Man. Our daughter's preschool is across the street from the apartment complex. And so every day I pick her up. Now, you know where she goes to school. Feel free to stalk her. But I pick her up and and I drive by it every single day. And I, I wonder when she's old enough, I'll be able to tell her. So there's something famous about this building. I, I started taking karate just because I was like, well, if I ever meet Elizabeth Shue slash Lisa, at least... <laughs> At least to have some kind of karate experience. It's very um, important. Justin. As a kid, you're just like that's that's who she is, and that's what she likes is guys guys who can do karate. You're gonna impress her with your jujitsu. Oh well, okay. <laughs> another big thing. Um, so obviously, I love adventures in babysitting, but another big thing as a kid was this movie had the MacGuffin in Adventures in Babysitting is basically a Playboy magazine, which. As a seven or eight year old, it's kind of like the Holy Grail, basically, in a way. So you're like, okay, there's a whole, there's a Playboy magazine allegedly with Elizabeth Shue in it. That sounds awesome. Like, you know, (laughs) I would understand why these men men would want this magazine, not for the, the things written on the magazine, but again, Elizabeth Shue in a Playboy magazine sounds nice. Is it true, Keith, that she actually, so those were actually pictures that were kind of posed of her in that magazine that wasn't like a, a, an actress that looked like her 
Uh, no, that was Elizabeth Shue with a Playboy photographer in very modest poses with a huge feather boa, and they had a lot of contour makeup to make her not look like her, like her, not like her. Uh, and it is Shailene is uh, Lisa, absolutely. Wow, I'm actually my mind is blown by that. I didn't expect that for the for that to be the answer. I love the name Shailene, and I love the name Sesame Plexer. I think those are just fantastic <laughs> names. David Simpkins, the writer of Adventures of Babysitting, has to get a lot of credit. He's a genre writer, Warehouse 13, and uh, Briscoe County Jr., and uh, uh, David Simpkins is an angel, and Buffy, and he's uh, he's legend in sci-fi and kind of adventure. Um, and he has a very kind of dark, uh, comedic tone. And I like a lot of the casting choices they did for the uh, – It's nobody's really dangerous except for the really, really bad guy. Um, and I realize Adventures in Babysitting, it, it isn't about rich kids and poor people. It isn't about black and white. It isn't about inner city or suburb. What it's really about is sane people going in and meeting a bunch of really crazy people. Honestly, it's just that it's more um, – uh, uh, bringing up baby, it's it's definitely inspired by Arsenic and Old Lace uh, and Marx Brothers. These are all videos that Chris Columbus had us watch and get down to the rhythms and get down to the kind of the fast pacing um, and keep moving it. Uh, After Hours is a big inspiration. Um, he, it takes place in 24 hours. You know, it comes back all visit a bunch of spots and go back to the same spot. Ferris Bueller, the dark, yes. the dark, dark side of Ferris Bueller. <laughs> I mean, it's a farce. I feel like people do a disservice to it if they think that, you know, that I hate to say, but this poorly represents either um, people of different socioeconomic status or even people of color because it's not, that's not what this is about. I, and I say it's that. It's about them for, being lunatics, really. Yes. Everyone is crazy in town. Yes. And it's even a Brenda. And Brenda's thing. the first crazy one anyway. She's the one that drags everybody into town. And I just love Penelope Ann Miller. Um, we we share the same birthday. We had our birthday on the set. Uh, yeah, we were on my, on my birthday. We were at the lobby of the associate center, running past and trying to get into the elevator. That was fun. That is awesome. As as an eight year old, I remember reciting the. Uh, I don't know why, but my brother and I, who was three years younger than me, we were obsessed with the hot when she was trying to buy the hot dog with a check. Like, we were little <laughs> kids, and we're like reciting this line about this guy saying, "Then you." I don't have a wiener or something like that. As as a little kid, that was really so. Um, oh, I got it because you recited it the entire time we watched it. <laughs> We're sitting here in the living room, and and Justin, who who earlier said he was born in 1980, so figure out how old he is, sat here and repeated the whole scene word for word from memory. I'm not a poser. I'm not posing the key. Like, oh, I know you're not. <laughs> this is real. <laughs> I mean, just so you know, Keith. Like, I was I kind of was raised in a video store, and Adventures in Babysitting was one of those movies where. It was PG-13, so it kind of felt on the edge of wrong for me to watch. So He was literally raised in a video store. His dad owned uh, a video store in North Carolina. There's a there's an almost gang fight. There's Playboy magazines. There's a fraternity party. And I was like, this is what my grown-up life is going to be like, basically. <laughs> Bring it on. What... Keith, what was your favorite what was your favorite scene uh, to film uh, on the movie? The babysitting blues? Is that a good answer? Yes. That's a great answer. You can't it, go wrong with that answer. How, Nobody how sings long, it. So how long did it take for you guys to, 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 to film that scene? 
uh, it we the whole thing with going into the music studio on Sunday, recording with Albert Collins and the Icebreakers, and then they had put a temp mix together, and on mo- the net, very next day, we're at Fitzgerald's Bar outside of Chicago, uh, where where Paul Newman gave Tom Cruise the Balabushka in the Color of Money. Um, and they, uh, we shot for two days, uh, with <clears throat> 130 extras, something like that. Wow. And, uh, three Panavision cameras, uh, one Panavision Platinum camera, cause us and, uh, Interspace were the first films to be shot on the Panavision Platinum. Um, they have the, pla- the gate is made out of platinum. I don't know how that helps. Anyway, uh, <laughs> The, uh, they shot 13,000 feet of film in two days. The wow. typical feature film is about 11,000 to 13,000 long. So they shot a whole movie's worth of footage in those. And if you watch it, it's really, when they cut between cameras, it's, was our, one of our better takes. And it's kind of a continuous, you know, they have one camera in the back slowly dollying and they have a couple of other on, on sticks. And then they, uh, it, it was, and then it was the first time that Albert Collins had ever performed to a playback. And he couldn't lip sync or sync up the guitar. So that was the best that he could do at that. And I, I give it to him because he's old school. So you guys recorded in the studio and then lip sync to the track as you filmed. All the talking at the front of the song from, hi, <clears throat> my name's Chris Parker. That's all recorded in the studio. And she's lip syncing to that. And I love it. The echo of the mic, it looks like she's talking on that part. Yeah. How nerve-wracking to get that right, though. I can imagine that it would We be had cool. choreography, too, man. That yeah. takes a while to learn that as well. Choreographed by his wife, Monica Devereaux, um, which was also on the L-Train sequence. We come up to Devereaux Street. Um, Just a nose. Look. Her, her father, Monica Devereaux's father, is also in the chop shop, and he plays one of the cops in the original Home Alone in the Town Square uh, sequence. So Chris Columbus has put his wife's family and him, uh, they're all in the frat party. Uh, Anthony Rapp's brother is in the frat party. Elizabeth Shue's brother's in the frat party. Um, uh, they really loaded it up so that everyone kind of looks like they're just a few years apart, like a, you know, a good Irish Catholic family sent, you know, three or four of their kids off to school, you know. So we so we have the nobody leaves this place without singing the blues scene, yeah. and then so that was a huge scene as a kid. Uh, I mean, this movie has an amazing soundtrack. I did a, a soundtrack came out for this movie at the time, right? It did not because the artists. It was all classic blues that came from closed labels, many different labels. So no one publishing house owned the rights, and they couldn't pull enough of the songs together to make a coherent soundtrack. They had two originals, which is the Babysitting Blues and I Can See the Future in Your Eyes by Southside Johnny and the and the Jukes. Um, and they covered, Southside Johnny also covered Expressway to Your Heart. Those, so those were three originals, really. I taped I taped all this onto a cassette tape off my of TV so I could have this soundtrack on a cassette tape. Well, for those of you that were well inclined, and I'm not, you know, suggesting any sort of piracy, but somebody's already put together with the album cover and the tracks in order, every song on um, one of them, you know, file sharing sites, you know. Yeah, who'd have thought? I may have a copy. Who knows? 
I have had fans send me that whole kit. It comes with the cover art and everything because it never existed in real life. There's soundtracks to Under the Boardwalk, Hiding Out, Cousins, Toy Soldiers. Don't tell on the babysitter's dead, but there's no soundtrack for Adventures in Babysitting. That's just crazy to me. It's, it's insane. I mean, I get with the logistics and the bureaucracy as to why, and yet, still crazy. I can't believe that happened. So the last thing I was going to say, so other than the, the, of course, the, the, the blues club scene, the big scene, I remember as a kid several times, again, this being a PG-13 movie was the, um, I called it the beat it scene, the beat it scene in the subway where you guys are like in the subway chilling and all of a sudden beat it starts happening right there in the subway train <laughs> and someone drops the F-bomb and as a kid you're just like, okay, <gasps> everything just got really real right now. This right? is awesome. Best line ever. And he gets the the the, the small cut on, on his toe, which is amazing. So shout out to the, the beat it subway scene basically. <laughs> I would imagine that's logistically another hard-to-film sort of scene. That was, I think, three nights on the Chicago Loop on the real L train, just going around. We had two cameras for that. Um, one of the cameras was soft focus, and they said, we got to go reshoot some footage. So after we shot some other stuff late at night, it was about 3 o'clock in the morning, we get up to the platform, and it's locked. So we had a stunt coordinator that happened to know how to pick locks. So we got up there and we got the footage we needed and we got out of there. Yeah. Um, it was, it was fun because it was, you're really moving on a train and you just can't fake that. Uh, and you know, the lights would go out and, you know, would shake around and that's all, uh, real. And, and I drank two jolt colas before confronting that punk. Yes. Um, that's how I got the kind of like adrenaline going. Uh, and that was, that was fun. So many of the actors in Adventures of Babysitting still work. All of the bit players. Um, one of my favorite cameos, I call it a reverse cameo, but she was, <laughs> she was in Robocop. She plays the nurse in Adventures in Babysitting. It goes, Dr. Nookbang, the patient with the stab wounds just died. She's also one of the, um, <laughs> girls with Miguel Ferrar when, Boddicker walks in and goes, bitches leave. And she's one of the two coke-snorting hookers that he's with. And I just love that she's a nurse in one movie and then a coke-snorting bitch in the other. Consummate character actor. Dr. Nookbang (laughs) passed away um, a few years ago. And we have to – a few months ago, I think, or at the beginning of last year. So Dr. Nookbang is gone. We no longer have him. Peace be with his family. We can't talk about great small roles in this movie without quickly talking about uh, Vincent D'Onofrio as, yes. as as Thor in quotation marks. So was was that one of his first movies? This was was this this was before Full Metal Jacket, right? This he made this after Full Metal Jacket. Uh, he uh, lost all the weight and gained the muscle. Uh, quickly um he when we did the press tour for adventures in babysitting uh so our movie was gonna come out in about a week or two uh full metal jacket was still in theaters because that's finally when me and anthony rap in salt lake city utah we finally went to a movie theater and we saw full metal jacket and we went oh my god he could have killed us all um (laughs) and vincent you know vincent d'onofrio is a very heavy uh 
I don't know if he's a method actor, but he's uh, very heavily trained and very heavily studied. And he's quite serious about his craft. There's no messing around with Vincent D'Onofrio. Um, so what you're saying was you were, sc- you were scared. I was very scared. He's always in character. And uh, uh, I've always had fun with that because I'll just I'll just pee right down my pants with the, the terrorists and toy soldiers. They were kidnapping us one by one at the end of each shooting day going, we'll give you a ride back to the hotel. And then they'd threaten the kids and be like, get out of the car in a cornfield. And I, all the other kids would be like, stop messing around, stop messing around. I was like, oh, my God, please don't kill me. And I you know, groveled on the ground and, like, kissed their shoes. And they said, get up. All right, you play ball. We don't have to mess with you. So I'll always completely go for whatever thing. You know, there's rules. Nobody gets hurt. Everybody gets out alive. It's only a movie. They come out every Friday. Relax, people. But you can pull off – What I, the best thing about computer animation, just to move on to digital and computer – my grandfather saw silent film move into – talkies and then color film and he saw television and then i got to see the transition from film to digital as a workflow working on the set now they're indistinguishable when you watch something um and uh, it's changed the way that you work uh it's uh anyway go on i'm i love i could talk about how filmmaking in the industry you know keeps changing and morphing and uh uh, the, I have to give a nod out to John Hughes, who you were, you know, if you were just seven or so when Adventures of Babysitting came out, and John Hughes, that opened the door for the market for teenagers to go to the movies and to give a damn about something that's written about them or for them. Um, and so, and I went up for, <clears throat> uh, uh, Breakfast Club. Come on, what the hell? Sixteen candles. I went up were you for the, wait, were you, Farmer were, Ted. The nerd? Were you the I, nerd in Breakfast Club? I went up uh, for yes, and I went up for Say Anything. I went up. What? Why am I going up for the John Cusack role in Say Anything? I think I was about sixteen at the time. Totally wrong, but I had a great agent. So you go up for completely things that you're just not right for, and um, you know you get the ones that you know. I like. Don't tell mom I wasn't right for. I you know I got a wig together and I, you know, dressed up and I kind of crashed on audition. Everything's falling apart here. My whole, my whole world is falling apart. It's windy down here. Um, and, but yeah, that's what you got to do. You know, I, Sean Young got a lot of gruff guff for, uh, jumping a studio wall and, uh, wearing a Catwoman suit. And I'm like, well, any actress that doesn't do that, they just don't want it bad enough. So sometimes <laughs> you gotta, you gotta really go for it. So, so, um, quickly, um, we, we have this thing on our show where we like to talk about IMDb trivia. I don't know if you noticed the, the trivia section of IMDb pages. And we're always like, is this true? Bring is it. this true? Bring it on. So we want to ask you a couple <laughs> things really quick about Adventures of Babysitting really quick. You can answer if this is true. So Bra- Bradley Whitford was allowed to use his own Camaro for the movie. It, the license plate, so cool, was actually his real license. Not, nope, not true. Not even. Not true IMDb trivia. Eh. It's a pretty cool license plate, though. By the way, yeah, oh, it's great. I love. I, I'll see. Uh, I'll see references to so cool every once in a while. Um, and Bradley was amazing. Uh, what you just love a guy that you really love to hate. Yeah, he's good at that. Um, is it is it true that this? Uh, I guess an iteration of Adventures Babysitting started in the 1960s, and originally Jane Fonda was considered to play the lead. That would be tough considering David Simpkins went home and wrote the treatment the day he saw Ferris Bueller's Day Off. 
It's got Adventures of Babysitting has a French restaurant scene. It has a music scene. It uh, starts at the home and ends at the home, beating the just beating the parents home. Um, it takes place all in one day. Uh, so Ferris Bueller's was the biggest inspiration, I think. Now there may have been a project or something that went into turn around in this or get a new writer or this, because the first draft of Adventures of Babysitting, um, it may have been He Man, uh, not Thor. It may have been a tr- her toy chest, Sarah's toy chest that had been switched for a box of uranium and the final confrontation happened on a bridge over uh, Chicago River. So Not even Chicago, Manhattan. we went into the Gridiron Stadium and we uh, that was my next stole one, Chicago Anthony, Bears. Yeah, Daryl stole jock straps and then went and sold those to the jocks at the frat party to get the money to go pay for the car. So Adventures of Babysitting went through a lot of different changes just from the time I got on board. Uh, so who knows? I don't think that's true, though. Um, let's see. Is it true that Justine Bateman was up for both the lead role in Adventures in Babysitting and Don't Tell Mom? Justine Bateman? Have you heard I, that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sure. Was there a 1989 CBS unsold pilot of Adventures in Babysitting with Brian Austin Green and Joey Lawrence? And you can find that on, I think it's Daily Motion or Vimeo. There may be a bad copy on YouTube. It's How was on that? there. Was it's it bad? pretty, wow. it's, it's terrible. Uh, but, but Jennifer, Jennifer Guthrie plays, uh, the Elizabeth Shue role and Brian Austin Green plays Brad. No, wait, Daryl. Yeah, Brian Austin Green plays Daryl. Um, it's, uh, it, they go to a 7-Eleven where Brenda's working and it gets robbed. So they duck into the sewers and get chased by alligators. And then they finally get out of the sewers and get home. <laughs> and how did that not succeed and go, go straight to series? That, that should have gone Especially viral. Especially with the opening cheesy 80s credits and 25 miles to go playing. Why would you <laughs> got to see it just for the opening credits? Um, Missed the boat. A little freeze frame uh, yeah, in the we- boxes. <laughs> so, so last so last of all for that movie so la- we didn't see it but there was a disney channel original movie adventures in babysitting were you was it good were you contacted in any way to be a part of what did you think about that whole thing i directed it oh good well congratulations keith <laughs> we've done our research you know i heard that it was coming and it had been in development for years uh it had been uh, you know with miley cyrus and raven simone supposed to do it and so when it finally got money and it, and it went to go, I, of course, called in and said, hey, what's up? You're going to have the original FIFA cat? You know, no, no, we're doing something different, totally different universe. They didn't pay David Simpkins. They uh, started with a fresh script, fresh people that happen to have the same last names. <clears throat> but it's, it is a completely different film. It's not in the same universe. Uh, and the they're like, they're shooting in Canada. They have, you know... Small budget. They're they're not flying anybody up. It's, okay, fine, whatever. That's I'll back off. So as it came time to come out, um, there was a little bit of a backlash from some of the original fans of the film, and um, you know I I kind of wanted everyone to give it a shot. I I, I con- we contacted uh, the uh, president of the uh, of the channel, 
and uh, he does the programming for the uh, Disney Channel original movies. And I said, you know, if if you could have some maybe the cast introduce the film, like, hey, here it is. Go ahead and watch it or something. So I got an invite to the premiere and they had a hundred stars from a hundred of their Disney Channel original movies from the first one to this one, which was the hundredth movie. Um, and we all watched it. It was great. You know, it's definitely G. It's rated G. Period. Um, the bad guys are more cartoonish. You know, there's, there's kind of less stakes. Um, and I think that some, the danger, uh, and in the eighties, there were a lot of, um, unwatched children. Uh, and this actually goes into economics and Reaganomics. Uh, because it was now a two parent working household, latchkey children is basically invented. And so stories had to kind of keep up with those times. So we had space camp where we, not only are the kids not even watch, being watched, they're shot into space for Christ's sakes. Uh, there, I think it it uh, peaked with Grand Canyon, a, a Peter Billingsley film, where all the kids got eaten by wolves. So. <laughs> Enough said. It's pretty awesome. So, um, so we move on from uh, Adventures of Babysitting, nineteen eighty seven, to Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead in nineteen ninety one. You go from Brad with the sweater to. Kenny, the Bill and Ted influenced, the local stoner, stoner kid with like a a, a twinkle in his eye that he wants to be a a gourmet chef. Basically. Before before we get into it, I have to say, Keith, I didn't even recognize you at first. I really, <laughs> genuinely didn't. And maybe I'm just a, I'm a terrible physiognomist, or you're an incredible actor, perhaps both. But but I looked at the screen and I I I literally slapped Justin, and I was like, so wait wait. Wait, where's Keith? He's like, Chrissy, he's right there. And I'm like, what do you mean he's right there? And then I had to look and I'm like, holy crap, that is Keith. I didn't even know. Took me a minute. <laughs> is it true that you had to fight for this role, Keith? I did. I had to fight for it. Um, and uh, I actually went up for the Josh Charles role. And I was like, you know what? Uh, at the time, it was called uh, The Real World. It wasn't called Don't Tell Mom. So uh, I didn't know I was stumbling on, upon another babysitter movie. Um it was more about a secret of my success or, uh, uh, you know, one of the films where a working girl. Yes, exactly. That's what it really focused on. And it had the element with the kids at home, too. And rather than go up for the guy that liked the babysitter, which I'd kind of done as Brad, I said, you know what? I'd really like to go up for the now I was I was 20 at the time. So my agent said, no, Kenny's 15. You can't go up for it. Okay, whatever. I asked the casting director, I said, can I come in and show you something? So I read for uh, Brian, the clown dog boy, and then I went out into the car and I put on a wig and I put on, you know, ripped jeans and a skull vest. And I walked past a bunch of other real Heshers that were going up for Kenny. And I kicked the door in and it was like, oh, who's, you know, who's in charge? Let's do this. Oh, rock and roll. Don't even remember it. Um, they had me take off. I had a baseball cap over it. I was rocking it like Sebastian's box style. Uh, and I took it all off and they, they had this kind of same reaction you did. They didn't realize that it was the same guy that had just come in 10 minutes ago. And I got the part and they, uh, kicked down for two. I had just cut my hair for under the board, uh, cheetah. I don't know. There's some movie where I'd cut my hair quite short. Oh, Book of Love, maybe. And it was, um, there's no way it could grow out or anything. So we had two, 
$3,000 handmade wigs uh, done right here in Burbank. And uh, I went to go get my life cast made and I saw a picture of my grandfather on the wall because the same guy that did my wigs also made wigs for my grandfather. That is super cool. How how was it wearing that wig, uh, Keith? That was that was a lot of hair. It was hot and itchy <laughs> and scratchy and terrible. It was awful. It was hot. It was a it was a hot summer. We're up in Valencia, which is just awful desert, high desert, and we're in around Hollywood and Santa Monica and Malibu and stuff. But mostly, it was up in um, Canyon Country, out the fourteen, kind of close to where Vasquez Rocks is. Um, it, it, there's a lot of kind of pop-up condo communities, but really it, it, that's the same house, by the way, the don't tell on the babysitter's house in just the 10 of us that they move from. So they, uh, yeah, if you watch just the 10 of us, you see the don't tell mom, the babysitter's dead house in the opening credits. (laughs) How funny. I feel like I, I feel this is a stupid thing. It really is. But every podcast I, I get, because I grew up here in the Valley in LA, I'm like, I think I know where that is. It's like a sixth sense. And so when I was watching this, I was like, Valencia, I know it. It has to be the Santa Clarita area. So I feel fortunate that I got this one right. Yes. So is it true that you, at the time, um, you were totally opposite of, of, of Kenny? You were more of the Kenneth version. You were totally straight edge, obviously not... Not a stoner, not a drinker, anything like that. Obviously. <laughs> Is that true? No, no comment. <laughs> you have to go watch go watch my stand up act on uh YouTube. I got I got Virgin Sacrificed, which is I had never done stand up and they put up a bunch of great comics and then they throw me on stage. And I do uh I talk about kind of you know, uh, meeting fans, uh, and, uh, and a little, little bit of working on Don't Tell Mom. I think it answers the question that you, that you're asking. But now, you know what? It's California. Certain laws have been passed. So it, it's, it's all legal now. It's all, all legal. But you guys, what were you guys, what was in that bong? Was it true that it was like catnip or something that you guys were smoking? Was, and it's awful. Catnip just gives you a headache right between the eyes and, it gives you a head rush, uh, but it looks really good on screen. It's white, hot, like smoke. And, um, I, you know, I'd hold it in and then say a line and then blow it out. So I was, eh. but, um, uh, that was just nasty. Um, but it was really fun to work with the, all the stoner guys and, uh, Walter. I had a particular, you know, I love little Walter, poor dear Walter. I should have been there. I mean, not with him on the roof, but I should have been there reading Green Eggs and Ham or some shit like that. I don't know. <laughs> or some shit like that. That's what you said. The so, hospital uh, scene where uh, Christina goes to pick up Walter from the hospital and I come up and I'm like, oh, my God. Um, that was my first day of, of actually in front of the camera. I had already done about a week before I had done showed up to the set just to do off camera while she's on the phone from office. So I hadn't even really developed Kenny yet and I'm doing the off screen lines. But I realized that I wasn't being really generous. I wasn't going there to help the other actress. I was uh, going there to protect my comic timing so that my jokes would be set up right. I'm like, I'm not going to let a script supervisor read my off-screen dialogue. I'm going to be on set and I'm going to read it. So now I know Bill Paxton's secret. He did that for Apollo 13 for the whole mission control. They couldn't get Tom Hanks and Kevin Bacon to come to the set every day. They were, you know, they did their stuff on a spec, but Bill Paxton did and read all of their parts 
for all of the mission control guys on Apollo 13. That's dedication. Yeah. Wow. Chrissy, you've never seen Apollo 13. You have no idea what we're talking about. I've seen about. pieces of Apollo 13, <laughs> and I love Titanic, and I know Bavaxin from Titanic. So F you, Justin Winners. Keith, let's quickly talk about your most famous line in this movie, the, the line that everyone knows you for. Can we, can we get a line reading? Because obviously it's, it's miraculous. The dishes are done, man. Yes! <laughs> yes! Okay, who... There, there's lots of there's lots of hearsay on the internet, Keith. Someone <laughs> said I, I heard that that wasn't even in the the script. I, I heard you say I don't know if I wrote it or the the director just like threw it at me. What's the truth? I'm sure uh, it, uh, Neil Landau and Tara Eisen wrote that in. I couldn't find it in my draft that I have, but typically I don't keep uh, the draft that I had like shot with on my notes and everything like that. It was probably one of the first drafts that I have. So, but I do remember in looping, we had to actually, I'm on the couch in the scene before and she's telling me to, you know, mow the lawn and do the dishes and everything. And I, all I did was turn over and kind of grunt, but they said, could you loop in? Oh, I'll do the dishes. And it's so awkward because I'm clearly not moving my mouth or anything like that, but it worked, but it set up that other joke. And I'm thinking, well, if that wasn't in the script, Maybe that wasn't. God knows where it came from. I vaguely remember standing on the roof. We did have an insert roof stage, but contrary to rumors I've seen online, only Walter did his stuff on the mock-up roof. There was a little mock-up roof that was only five feet off the ground for him. We did us. We, there, there's no safety nets. There's no ladders. They like climb up on the roof and go, you know, pretend to shoot dishes. And I remember doing that with the guys, and we're. I, you know, Riffin, and I remember he did the, you know, cleans them down to the shine. Maybe both of those lines were written. I, I remember whenever I say or someone says that to me, I'll always answer with cleans them down to the shine, um, even though it's not my line. But I also will say I'm right on top of that, Rose. That has been people have met each other at offices because they'll hear someone say it. And they'll be like, dude, come on. Right on top of that, Rose. Um, all of these art pieces, uh, my wife and I actually make canvas art it's stenciled and spray painted and it's got dishes are done or right on top of that um dish towels all plates i'll sign dishes i was telling chrissy i was like he's got some merch because i found an etsy store that said the dishes are done man and i was like i want this shirt and he's like no i think they have like a whole shop Uh, where is this it's keithcooganonline.com and just go to the, there's a thing that says autographs or merchandise or whatever, and it'll take you to, I built the whole thing and did all the, with the computer. Um, I'm very proud of it because I had to do the merchant account and take, had to take Visa and all that stuff. So there's no middleman, zero. And this is probably rare for, you know, a celebrity. Come on, let's just say it. Uh, no, but I, uh, you know, there's fans that can't make it to, like we were just in Chicago. Um, we've been in Jersey and Kansas City and Dallas, Austin, Houston, um, uh, Lubbock. Uh, we've had uh, Pinky and I have gone on tour with Adventures of Babysitting. And don't tell mom. At one point, we've got the cans of film driving through Texas from uh, Alamo Draft House to Alamo Draft House. It was so fun. Um, I really love that people appreciate the film and come out. They come out to see these like retro screenings, and I'll do a Q and A and talk about it and stuff. Uh, and the, so for fans that can't come to those kind of events, um, absolutely go online and I'll sign everything. And, um, you know, we put lots of free gifts inside. Um, Pinky's Christmas cards are, uh, notorious. Uh, we, this year it's 
uh, Beverly Hills 90211 Ho Ho Ho, where it's Pink, Pinky and I with the entire cast of 90210 um, on the Christmas card. We put little Christmas hats on them and everything. Um, uh, it uh, So it's weird. It's fun. Uh, back to the Pinky story when we met. We stood up to take the selfie after I gave her a dishes are done man or whatever signed an autograph and she hadn't seen Don't Tell Mom so she didn't even know what the heck that quote meant. So we stand up to go take I stand up to go take the picture and we get face to face and we go, Oh, there you are, where where have you been? you know? And I say, Are we gonna just start making out right now? And she goes, What are you gonna charge me? Uh and that was the beginning of our, our romance. <laughs> that's a great that's a She's great smart. that's a great story. That's a great story to tell. She's a smart yeah. lady. I like her. Okay, I got I got a couple real real questions. Uh, the Rolling the Rolling Stones tattoo, real? You still have it? <gasps> nice. No, that's amazing. It's so faded. I got it just weeks before doing Don't Tell Mom. Not for it, but I had happened to have just gotten it. I had seen the Steel Wheels tour, and uh, my parents were Rolling Stone fans. Um, they like the Beatles, yeah, but you know, you're what what do they say in pulp fiction? You're either an Elvis man or you're a, ro- ro- a Beatles man. Well, my family were Stones fans, so um, I got it because they represented longevity and that just rocker attitude. You know, I uh, at the time I was 18 or 19, I bought a motorcycle all to get back on my mom, um, and uh. I had gone on a road trip down the 10 freeway all the way to loop to new Orleans from Santa Monica, California. And I'm in new Orleans and I get a call from my agent. Hey, come, there's this movie, which was don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Very, um, crazy timing on that. So the tattoo is absolutely real. And they went with it. They didn't have to get clearance because it's actually a piece of art. You can't, sell a picture of a piece of art because that's infringement but the actual piece of art itself is not so it's a very strange gray area that they got away with it on that one. Oh, and then in also in adventures of babysitting part of that soundtrack issue uh one of the songs on the soundtrack is gimme shelter by the rolling stones when we go into lower wacker drive but we only use the part up to mix vocals because just the part they used was more than me and Anthony Rapp's salary combined. Um, and if they went for the whole thing, it would have cost. So they couldn't use even mixed voice and it, it cost them $50,000 just for that part of that song. So music is incredibly expensive. Unreal. It's weird. It's weird to think that, uh, adventures in babysitting was like the gateway drug to the Rolling Stones for me as a kid. <laughs> I was like, what is that song? What, you know? And then yeah. my parents were like, it's Rolling Stones. I'm like, oh my gosh, my mind blows. You're like, oh, you mean adventures in babysitting? Cause I totally understand <laughs> what that means. Um, back to don't tell mom for a second. I, I feel like as a parent, as the mom in the room, I have to bring this up. I gotta say, uh, had I seen this movie prior to having children, I probably would have just taken it at face value. All right, mom goes on vacation, whatevs. Having two children of my own now, I'm like, who the hell leaves for whatever she left? Three months, five months, something crazy like that over the course of a summer? Explain this, Keith. Why did she leave all you guys and just go on vacation? In California, it's legal to leave a 14-year-old with the other kids. So... (laughs) 
you know, Christina Applegate's 17 in the movie, totally legal. She needs to get boned by her Australian sheep herder, and that's just all there is to it. Um, yeah, that's, you know, I love that she comes back in the whole, you know, outfit. Oh. Yeah, she, oh, she was like on safari, she came back. And that's the other thing, she came back, and can I, because I was the only person maybe, I was hella pissed watching her come back and blow up Christina Applegate's whole game. I'm sitting there and I'm on the couch. I'm like totally a side standing bystander here. I'm going like, shut up, shut up. Shh, let her get through it. Talk to her afterward. What are you doing? You're ruining everything. As a mother, I would never ruin that for my child. I'm sorry. She worked hard. And uh, 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 Conchetta Tomei, who plays the mom, she has the best setup for – she uh, is the final kind of – she sets up the final payoff for the original joke and inspiration for the film. According to the writers, their whole joke was they wanted to get rid of the babysitter by page 10 and go into this other story and at the very end have someone say, hey, where's the babysitter? And that's it. Roll credits. And they every time they went to the studio and were getting money or they wanted rewrites or whatever, they said, you could do whatever you want. Just don't change that joke. And she delivers it great. And she, you know, she comes out, you know, swell. Where's the babe? One more thing. And it cuts to the producers playing the obituary. Um, I mean, playing the mortuary guys, our actual producers. Um you know, going, God, she's such a nice old lady, man. Well, she left us all the money. <laughs> now, now, this is actually in the IMDb trivia for Don't Tell Mom, but I had heard this before. Is it true that in an earlier draft, the the babysitter's death was like um, almost like a mystery play and like they thought that some of the, one of the kids did it or the other kid did it? A murder what, mystery. It, it was like it sounds very much darker than it actually is. Was that true? It, it, uh, I never saw that draft, but I I know that they went through that draft, um, and it still it still contains elements of it because we've got the horror queen. How ironic that Danielle Harris grows up and goes into Halloween and becomes this horror scream queen when she's the one talking about hack his head, hack her head off. Um, chop her up into little pieces, and uh, I love that she plays the Tom. She's you know the first time you meet her, she's burning ants with a magnifying glass uh in the original script so um very 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 funny uh there's still the elements of you know we're dealing with a dead body and uh it it you know they cut it to the point to where it's really more comical i i it took me a while to realize my room probably killed her because she went in and saw all of the posters and everything on my wall and she's like <gasps> and i'm like that did it my room pushed her right over the top and my my favorite little touch is that Kenny never ever saw her, and yet he's like, "Yeah, she was a great babysitter." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how uh, how old do we think that that woman was? Like, how? That- e- Ida Rice Marin was older than dirt. Um, she rocks don't live that long. Uh, poor thing. And you know what? She lived on and on. And I remember spotting her on a some commercial where they have her on the Colossus roller coaster, just and like you you could tell it's for real. I'm like they put that poor woman through the ringer. Um, and it, we didn't we used body doubles and different people would stand in for whoever was under the um California grapes. By the way, that's a California grapevine blanket that we put over her. The yeah, the California grapes. Oh, raisins. That's sorry, California raisins. California raisins. We said that yeah. was like grapevine, like the five. 
I will tell you, the one thing about Kenny was that he was so selfish. Like little things like, you know, careful of my skateboard. And, you know, he's just concerned about his chips and his things. And he doesn't give a squat about his family. And it was so fun to play someone who just didn't care a damn about anything. Yep. But you do start to give a damn towards the end. Like when you become Kenneth and you get your stuff together and then you start backing up uh, Sue Ellen and doing the housework and stuff like that. Chef like there's skills. A, there's do, a change. Do you have any Do you have any chef skills in I, real I, life? I, I cook. That was his. I, I cook. You I cook, do. I cook, I cook well. Yes, I do. Oh, I do wicked ribs. Uh, the Honestly, of all the things I've done, I've done like after-school specials on drunk driving and McCarthyism. And I've done um, one of the first movies of the week that tackled lesbianism, which was uh, A Question of Love with Jenna Rollins and uh, Jane Alexander and Clue Uliger and um, Bonnie Bedelia. And I was like six or seven when I did that. I get fan mail, but the fan mail I get from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead that are from – uh, people that were going through rough times in their life and they didn't have their shit together and they saw the film and something got in them and they actually went to culinary academy and are now a chef at a five-star restaurant in Florida. I get these letters and not just one. I've gotten several of people that have actually went and walked that path and were inspired by it. All the things I've done, that's the last film that I thought would do that. I did take it because I like the redemptive quality. I love that he changes and it's a very clear and dramatic visual change. Um, very hard to play Kenny without the wig. I'd get in the makeup chair and I'd be like, I don't know how to play him. Um, and, uh, Joanna Cassidy was a dream. I've gotten to work with some Blade Runner actors, uh, Sean Young a couple of times and Joanna Cassidy is Rose, just so that you know. You see her in other roles, but the closest you can get to actually what Joanna Cassidy is like <laughs> is Rose. Yes, Rose Lindsay is Joanna Cassidy. David David Duchovny's first role with like a really slick back yeah, hair. Yeah, that hair. That hair. Speaking of bad hair. And just a little bit after that, I remember trying out for Red Shoe Diaries. Um, and uh, that was another one who I was terribly would have been miscast. But the thing about it is Dove, uh, David attacked me on the set. How do you get a better agent? How do you get more better parts? What do you, how did you do this? Where'd you start? Where'd you train? And he cornered me. It was when I was down doing the off camera, uh, lines for the office scenes. And I was sitting on a little honey wagon set and David is just all over me. Um, and it's not the first time I've seen people cause I'm very encouraging. I'm like, if you want it, go for it. I'm like, if, if, but make sure it's that nobody can stop you. If it's, what you want to do and that's it you just can't think of anything that yeah you got to go for it um so wait did you did, did you say that to him did yeah, you like- absolutely absolutely of course i'm like this is you gotta you know i i think i did tell him whatever i knew about agents and stuff like that um i don't know if he followed the advice but i remember a, a young woman uh she uh we were at a party i was maybe 14 or 15 years old and she was a year or two older than me but she wanted to be an actress and had done her high school theater and stuff and you know i gave her my little chat you know and encouraged her it was lisa bonet who then went a cosby show and stuff so weird um but i also like working with the Corey hames and the shang youngs and the sally kirklands and the ones that don't lead the Us Magazine polished perfect life. I think that the granola, the crunchy little bits, you know, the pumpernickel is a lot more interesting. Yeah. Um, 
And I, it, I don't know. I, I kind of like that rebel rock and roll anti, you know, anti-social, anti something. And it, cause it's interesting and it's interesting on film. Did, did you, did you live with Corey Haim for a while? I did. He, he lived with me and, uh, we did a film called Life 101 and then he, he kind of came home with me and uh <laughs> stayed on my couch for quite a while. Uh that was um that was fun. We were going out to uh some of the clubs here in LA um and he would get the table with the thing and like they just open the red carpet for him and I I was always like stay I'd stand in line at the Viper room even though I'd just done a film with one of the co-owners, Christina Applegate. And I just stand there in line because I'm like, I didn't, I don't want to bother people. I don't, you know, I don't like onions on my sandwiches, but I'll just order regular. I'll pick them off. I don't, I don't want to be in trouble. So I, I don't know. I, it's fun to work with people that are, are a little crazy. Anyway, (laughs) I, I know I am. You know, I have to say, speaking of, um, you were talking about, people have been inspired by your character to kind of make good changes in their life. Um, maybe I'm totally reaching. Maybe this is a question for Amy Hegerling or even uh, Brecken Meyer, but one of my favorite movies is Clueless in 1995. And I feel like I can't imagine Brecken Meyer's character now without him having kind of maybe perhaps sampled from, from, from you and your no, portrayal that's of not Penny. possible. No, that's not possible. <laughs> I, you know, it's, um, I got to do married to the Kellys with Brecken and he's amazing. Uh, I had pulled it from, as you said, Bill and Ted and partly because the director, Steve Herrick had directed Bill and Ted and we were using the same cameraman as Bill and Ted. Um, and, uh, was it Tom Burston? No. Uh, Tim Shirstead. So we then, um, uh, I borrowed a little bit of, uh, Spicoli. So I think Spicoli with Bill and Ted, I, I didn't see it until after I had done the film. But after I did Don't Tell Him on the Vapor I saw River's Edge and I realized I was totally doing Keanu from River's Edge. Like <laughs> a lot. So somehow I channeled Keanu before I'd even seen the film. <laughs> Where did the walk come from? Because you had a like a, yes. a weird like Steve Herrick. Specific. Steve Herrick kept saying uh, more walk more like a troglodyte, and I had to look it up, which is just like very caveman, very base, very like what next impulse are you gonna get in sugar? What you need beer? You need, I need to smoke something. I don't know. I, I'm tired. I'm gonna sleep now. So just very like lurching from one thing to the next, and it was very affected. I had to, you know, kind of. I love going into character. I love creating those kind of funny, weird characters. That's awesome. And not only did Stephen Herrick do Bill and Ted, he also did uh, Critters, which we had mm-hmm. Chrissy watch. Yep. And The Mighty Ducks, which is like this movie, a Stone Cold classic of a movie. So he worked with a lot of a lot of good directors. I noticed you didn't mention Three Musketeers. Is that, <laughs> is that on purpose? <laughs> we were missing that. That was nineties. That was nice. I was. <laughs> Uh, you know, I you were just staying out of that whole decorate. <laughs> yeah, it's out of it. Right totally then. understands. Okay. Um, so let's see. Before we're we're going way too long. So I we, know we're keeping you. We, Sorry. We, we apologize. What? So how was it working with Christina Applegate, Keith? I mean, obviously, we I knew her from Married with Children. I was obsessed with that Sunday night block of Simpsons and Married with Children. She came from that to this. But you were you played her younger brother, but you were actually older in real life. Yeah, two, two year or two older, um, and 
you have the great pleasure to work on films where um, someone else is taking the carrying the major weight, Elizabeth Shue or John Cryer um, or Sean Astin or Christina Applegate, uh, and they all you know they do it so effortlessly. Um, so they're really just setting me up to come and try to steal the show. And I, that's what I love. And it becomes incredibly competitive on the set. Fun for me, but my grandfather taught me how to steal focus. And so I'll do it anytime that I can. I'm just, yeah, I'm giving options to the editor really is what I tell people, but I know damn well they're, what they're going to use and when. Um, it's very calculated. I think a lot of it is very calculated. And then sometimes, then you just got to leap off into character and sometimes you don't know what's happening, but, uh, uh, they've got to keep to a schedule, so you can't, you know, Crispin Glover out. <laughs> so, so before we, so obviously our our show, our podcast, we've been doing, we're introducing Chrissy to all these movies she's never seen before. It's like I lived under a rock. Ad- my Adventures whole life. in Babysitting, Don't Tell Mom. Which which one were you leaning more towards, Chrissy? I love them both. I feel like Don't Tell Mom is something slightly more in my wheelhouse of relatability. Re- relatability, I can say the word. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved Adventures in Babysitting, and yet there was something about the latter of the two that I was able to more strongly identify with. I think really, Chrissy really uh, took to the fat the the climax of the fashion show at your at your oh, guys' house. Oh yeah, that was it. That was definitely it. That was a lot of spandex. Gotta say, thank you, Katrina. <laughs> thank you, Katrina. <laughs> I love the voicing over of it too. She's like, and the. The diamonds have been hand airbrushed on pink spandex, and I was just like, "Oh wow, this is happening!" I just, I just love that Kenny finally got his moment of like being caught, like being the guy behind the scenes with all the food, and all the girls are like, "Ooh, look at who is Ken- right? What is up with Kenny?" Oh, no, or at the end, he was like, "He's when his friends like you ended up with a nurse." He's like, "Yeah," and I think I'm gonna go to culinary school. I'm like, "What? You? If you had a mic, you could have just dropped it right then." Inspiring Boom. tons of Kenneths all around the world. Uh, Keith Coogan with his that was awesome that was a great it was a great moment <laughs> so uh, Keith we, we, we've we've held you long enough dude mainly uh, we want to thank you for for talking to us like I said we're we're big fans of these movies big fans of you we're um, exponentially grateful thank you for coming on thank you guys for having me on it was very fun you know your stuff and I'm so glad that you're getting exposed to all of the 80s and 90s greatness that's out there. Uh, you know, you got to get into the deep cuts like Mannequin. We oh. watch Mannequin. That's on there somewhere. You know, I, I we joke that I've lived under a rock for my entire life, but eventually we're going to watch all the movies and there won't be a rock anymore. So I'm not sure what you to got, do. You got your meatballs and, you know, your stripes and so many things that, uh, you know, have so many great moments in them and, and people still to this day quote so many movies and they don't even know it you'll watch one of these films and you go oh my god that is that really where that might have been from and also you'll see a great snapshot of the time um and it's always funny to watch the adults in these kind of teen movies because they're really quite framed uh in um extreme ways uh, and I don't think kids thought very much of the adults, uh, back, back in the day. The kids had their own little microcosm, their own little universe. And it was just so, everything's just so important to them. Um, and, but as you grow up, it's funny, uh, ET is a great barometer for where you are in your life. You first watch it, you're Elliot, you're maybe even your Drew Barrymore and, or you're, you know, one of the kids. And then you watch it when you're a little older and 
you're kind of identifying with the older brother more. You're like seeing more of that story. Then you get older and you're like, dude, I know what the mom's going through, man. That's I totally <laughs> Mexico. He hates Mexico. And then all of a sudden you're identifying with keys and you're Peter Coyote who, you know, had this, he's uh, Richard Dreyfus with his, his, you know, boat getting eaten by a shark when he was a kid. Um, uh, and so that, so the Chris Columbus thing, because he really, I think, was one of the uh, Spielberg protégés. Um, and uh, so for me, I appreciate that Don't Tell Mom, it especially resonates with anyone has to work an office job. Um, you know, they really love that kind of part of it. Um, but Adventures kind of has that spirit of that sensationalism, that Spielberg-esque kind of like uh, feel. And uh, honestly, I've seen I've seen it play against Toy Soldiers. I've seen it play with don't tell mom like a double feature and um you know crowds love and let, they laugh at, at 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 them both but i could tell that adventures of babysitting there's something and they'll usually say it's like the kids they look like real kids they look like they're really you know and they really like each other or something like that or their family and um it um they make movies quick now 18 days 21 days they'll make a movie uh, it took 90 days to make Adventures of Babysitting. It's a lot, you know, and traveling and going to, now let's move everything to Chicago for a couple of weeks and then back to LA. Um, and it, for that to be my first feature, you know, cause Fox and the Hound doesn't count. Um, I got spoiled and only would, you know, Toy Soldiers or Don't Tell Mom and, and cousins too match in that kind of level of trucks and budget and crew and everything. Uh, and so I was very lucky and, um, uh, you know, thank you guys for, I love talking about this stuff. Go on. I, I'm keeping you up now. No, you're not. Do you think they're going to do a, a remake someday of don't tell mom Keith? Oh gosh. They should just do. Don't tell mom the babysitter's dad. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about it. We're like, if so, obviously they did the Disney remake of adventures at babysitting, but if they did a don't tell mom remake, who would Keith play in the remake? You tell us who you think, and we'll tell you the, oh the, boy. Number, the number oh, one I'm, person. I'm said. Gus. I'm the sleazy <laughs> yeah. guy. That's what he said. I'm totally That a would Gus. be the funnest role to play, too. <laughs> when, we, when they did the Adventures in Babysitting remake, I said, just give me a hook and a tow truck, man, and I'll be, I'll be Pruitt. I'd love to be Pruitt. <laughs> You're ready to go. So, like we said, Keith, we're we're huge music, uh, theater theater heads. We love theater. We, you're doing a play right now. What's going on? You're in rehearsal. Yeah, we're in rehearsal. I'm directing a show. Uh, I will actually be in it one night on the 17th. Um, but it runs uh, December 15th through the 23rd. Uh, tickets are at uh, theater68.com. Um, theater spelled the like screwy French way with like the R E. Yeah. Uh, that's so pretentious. I'm just kidding. Um, and, uh, it is fun. It's a, um, great cast. We've got, it's, you're going to step into a early 1950s, um, radio studio. What's the name of the show, Keith? I'm sorry. I missed it. Oh, uh, the name of the show is stay tuned and it takes place in a radio studio that's putting on a Christmas carol and Scrooge and everything. But, it's also got a War of the Worlds element because the play gets invaded by 25-foot lizards that are eating New Jersey. Um, and it's uh, a good satire of actors and the business and theater um, itself. And it's got a lot of levels because you'll have an actor playing an actor playing another character that's in dealing with the other people and you just wonder what level it is as I'm doing it and directing and I'm like, Oh, I got to get a costume for Scrooge. And I'm like, 
They're doing a radio play. You don't need the costume. So I have to remember these kind of weird levels of how we're telling the story. And the Scrooge stand up. We have William Knight, who he voiced voices in Akira, uh, the English dubs, um, Ghost in the Machine. Um, he's a legendary voiceover artist, and he's his voice for Scrooge. He's done it quite a few times straight. The Scrooge parts are played pretty straight, and Scrooge is a great story. But then we have this kind of X-Factor element, um, the Orson Welles uh, thing. And, and then it's also – there's a story about the actual studio and the people that work there. Uh, but it's quick, 80, 90 minutes, in and out, no intermission, and 8 o'clock every night. Tickets are on sale now. Uh, and, uh, they're selling. So come on out, have some fun, have some laughs. It's been a rough year. Oh no. Oh no. A connection snafu. Keith, I hope you can still hear us. I want you to know, by the way, that the undertaking of what he was talking about in terms of directing a play like that sounds not unlike noises off, which is a play within a play in terms of uh, how hard it is when you have different levels of who's playing what and how it's all going down. So if you're in the L.A. area, absolutely look up this play. Um, we, as the Movie Gate cast, will probably make every effort to be there as well. Uh, unfortunately, we've lost Keith on the phone call, but we want to thank him so much for being on the on the show again. Yay, Keith! Yeah, look for him. Like I said, he's got uh, a website which he plugged earlier. He's on Twitter. I know at Keith Coogan. Um, I've seen either him or Pinky on Instagram. Just Google him and find him. Super awesome for him being on the show. Um, thanks, man. We, we really appreciate it. And follow us at the Movie Geek Cast, where we will undoubtedly be talking about this for a long time. Thanks, guys. We'll see you guys next <laughs> week. Bye.